Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Happy, happy hour, everybody. Yeah. Uh-huh. We have Lori Garrett this week, yep. who is uh, brings in place of Dr. Doom. She's bringing her own. She's an epidemiological journalist, author of the coming plague. Pl- Thanks, Tom Brokaw. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> is Lori Garrett the leader of the Doomettes? She's fantastic. Pulitzer Prize winning yep. science writer. Yep. And yep. Uh, you know what we didn't get to this week? The bullshit. Uh, what do you call it? Religious exempt- exemptions to the vaccine mandate. U.S. pastors mobilize against COVID-19 vaccine mandates. Bullshit on your bullshit religious exemption. Why? They're tr- like selling these off pretty much. Yep. Oh, I have a religious blah, blah, blah. The COVID, vac- the COVID virus doesn't know you have a religious. You're gonna, what religion allows you to infect and kill other people? Bullshit. I call bullshit. Oh, Christian, really? Christian scientists that can't take vaccines. Whatever. <laughs> Sorry. Some some That's Quakers can't. Some Quakers can't. If I were a doctor, which is very unlikely, I would have a fart machine. And any uh, you know objection, I would just go. You go ahead. You be a somebody Christian something something. Um, I I, I will not take this vaccine. Screw you! I'm gonna go black China on your ass. Get the fucking vaccine, you stupid hoe. That could be you know I don't. Don't go get the fucking vaccine. Stop being stupid hoe. That could be. I don't have the best bedside manner. No, that would that would be you. But the covidiots and mask holes have pushed me over the edge. Lori Garrett is more measured. Yes. And we will talk to her about where we are mm-hmm. with COVID. And then Aaron Rupar, our first time. Yes. Fantastic. He endures Trump rallies, so we don't have to. Yep. Like, we used to do it, so you don't have to. But now he does it, so we don't have to. So then we can, we are the mama bird. We regurgitate it gently into your mouth, but not in a gross way. Actually, he regurgitates it into our mouth, and then we... Yeah. I just think I'm going to barf. Okay. It's more like the human side. Right. Either. Because there is a big debate about people that don't want to hear from him, don't want to know, but that he's the leader of the Republican Party. And he is terrifying. And as we keep saying, Hitler had a failed coup before he had a successful one. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Aaron gives us the stuff he thinks is important that we need to pay attention yeah. to yep. because we are in a crisis <laughs> in this country, a democracy crisis. So it is incredibly, this happy hour will make you want to drink and swear as it should. And also, they're dirty words. Yes, there are. <laughs> I just talked about bullshit and your stupid religious exemption. Stupid. Vaccinated, you stupid whore. Can I start hanging out with Black China? Do you think she'd like to be my friend? No. I would love to see you two traveling together and at airports across the country. No, I don't want to see that. Yelling at people to get vaccinated and stop being stupid little hoes? Yeah. I don't right. think you have anything in common with her. Oh, well. 
I beg to differ. I'm also lost my shit about people that won't get vaccinated. Oh, that might be the only thing you have in common with her. Enjoy happy hour, everybody. Wee! Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. It has been too long since we have said hello to Lori Garrett, uh, who is a Pulitzer Peabody and Polk Award-winning author of I Heard the Siren Scream and the Coming Plague, and who is always right, and our favorite Cassandra, Lori Garrett, joins us now. Good morning, Lori. Hi, Steph. Uh, it's, it's been a while, but we, we've missed your doom. Yes. Because it's a, this is, you know, <laughs> we, were, we were talking off air a little bit, Lori. Is it just, this feels like PTSD or something, doesn't it, where people decide COVID's over and be start behaving like it and then we're in another surge it seems like that's how we got here now seems about six months ago that it was popular in the media to write about the pandemic in the past tense and we had a flood of analytical pieces appearing on all sorts of reputable news organizations talking about what have we learned from the pandemic as if it was over and you could examine it we're now definitely in better shape than we were even two weeks ago and the Delta variant is on the run in most of the country, certainly where you are yeah. in California and where I am in New York. But there are parts of America where the vaccination rate is still abominable, where, where uh, healthcare workers themselves have refused to vaccinate. And we have still surging Delta and definitely overwhelmed hospitals. That would be places like Idaho, Alaska. Um, several Midwest states, and of course, a number of states in the South. Well, Lori, it's just, it's that soundbite I just played for you because we still have people politicizing it. We have Kellyanne Conway take this morning, and uh, Peter Navarro, people calling Dr. Fauci evil. Uh, you know, it's I, I still it is beyond me when you know, as we say, this is at this point a pandemic of the unvaccinated, largely in terms of hospitalizations and deaths that this is still just being politicized. And, and we're having, what, Lori, a 9-11 every three days, right? And this has become our norm, that we're used to lose, losing, you know, over 1,000 people a day? Yeah, average life, life expectancy has gone backwards last year and now again this year. And we seem to have decided that's the new normal. There is definitely a sense in America that, well, you know, it's it's a pity, but... It's not me. It's not my family. So I'll move on. I'll, I want to get business going. But I think people are beginning to also realize, and certainly Wall Street is realizing, that the disruptions to the global economy are much deeper and are going to persist far longer than was originally thought. A lot of the euphoria this summer that led to the surge in Delta came from Wall Street feeling very confident that we were coming out of the epidemic and that the global economy was going to snap back into shape. Product issues were going to be taken care of, supply uh, slowdowns would would be bye-bye, et cetera. And now 
you know, the IMF just adjusted their forecast for the planet, and it's a further retraction, uh, a reduction in global economic growth. Many of the poorest countries in the world are now seeing surge in numbers of people going into acute life-threatening poverty, um, subsistence level survival, uh, and the supply chain issues are proving to be absolutely devastating. You saw that the White House just convened a big meeting this week, specifically focusing on trying to find solutions for the supply chain issues. But this is affecting everything. I, I visited one of the most important medical institutions in the world yesterday and was struck by how much they were having to try a second drug, no, now a third drug for patients because there were no, uh, no supplies of the first and the second one available. Yeah. Uh, stockouts all over the place. And of course, we're also in this place of stockouts of skilled personnel in all sorts of job settings, but very acutely in the medical era area. And again, at this medical center yesterday, every single procedure you can imagine is backed up, slowed down with queues of patients waiting because yeah. so many healthcare workers have left the profession. Either they've burned out, yeah. um, they've become fed up with being spat on and yeah. yelled at Screamed by patients. Screamed mistreated. Yeah. Or, or conversely, they've said, I'm not getting vaccinated. You can't mandate. I yeah. quit. Yeah. Well, goodbye to the nurses that don't believe in medicine. But anyway, um, how do you, Lori, in terms of politicization, this is the latest one. Florida has issued its first fine to a county that it says violated a new state law banning coronavirus vaccine mandates for firing 14 workers who failed to get the shot. Uh, they were issued a $3.5 million fine for Leon County. Um, the county administrator said the government's position in this instant, unfortunately, appears to be less of a public health strategy and more of a political strategy. He said their vaccine requirement is legally justifiable and necessary to keep pe- people safe. You commented on Twitter on Texas where the same thing is happening. I mean, it is just extraordinary to have political leaders that are <laughs> sending us in the wrong direction, <laughs> right, on, on COVID. I mean, I, you, you, I think, tweeted, which corporation will defy the latest from Greg Abbott? Well, United Airlines and some others have. But now we're into a whole legal level of this politicization of COVID, aren't we? It's inevitable that the whole question of mandating vaccination is going to end up at the Supreme Court. And with this Supreme Court, it's very hard to know what they will decide. Uh, And, you know, it partly relates to the particulars of the case. But certainly uh, it would be. Uh, insane to imagine that a corporation the size of United Airlines or uh, Walmart would say, okay, we'll have a different policy in Texas than we have in Arizona or that we have in California. And so all the unvaccinated workers can relocate to Texas and all the vaccinated workers will stay in California. This is nuts. Companies don't work this way. And so inevitably, something is going to end up as a court challenge. And by the way, it may go the other way. For example, um, we're now seeing an increasing number of parents suing, suing school districts that do not mandate masks, Yeah, saying their child is at risk. So I, I imagine lawsuits in every single direction, arguing every side of the mandate issue. 
and they're going to start making their way up the court system and eventually to the Supreme Court. Well, there's no question that they work, right? I mean, I think United Airlines, as you just brought up, Lori, is a great example. The CEO said uh, just 232 out of the airline's 67,000 employees, or 0.3%, have refused the vaccine mandate. And he said, so at United, the beginning of the crisis, I made a commitment. I wrote a letter to every family of everyone we lost to COVID. By July, with the Delta variant, the second time I got notified of an employee, a 57-year-old pilot had passed away. I walked around for half an hour. I finally called our team and said, this is enough. Uh, enough is enough. We can do something about this. He said out of the 67,000 employees, there are 232 who haven't been vaccinated. They are going through the termination process, period. I mean, I just this, you know, Republicans are supposed to be the party of small government and no regulation. And they're trying to, to mandate that, that uh, companies can't keep their employees or customers safe. That doesn't that doesn't feel legally sound to me. But I guess you're right. Who knows with the Supreme Court, right? I think we're seeing this all over the world. It's not unique to America. If you've followed the latest from Rome, I, you know, some of your listeners may not be aware that a couple of days ago, Nancy Pelosi and her husband were dragged out of uh, services at St. Patrick's Cathedral in Rome by Secret Service because uh, there was fear for their lives. Thousands upon thousands of anti-vaccine fascists, actual Nazis, in the uh, World War II sense of the word, uh, were marching outside and were violently protesting in the streets of Rome. It's reached the point now where you see this confluence of far-right sentiment and anti-vax sentiment, one layer upon another. The worst one I saw was a banner where syringes were uh, arranged to form a swastika. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. that was a Republican yeah. candidate, uh, uh, Herschel Walker. Yes. Yeah, somebody for him had it. Yes, I saw that. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura, you, um, this was interesting on Twitter. You also mentioned Cleveland Clinic will not perform organ transplants for unvaccinated people fearing recipients' vul- vulnerability to COVID. Vaccination is particularly important in these patients for their own safety. I mean, I just... I just have to hope, Lori, that we're, you know, and again, I guess we're almost at, what, 75% of us have at least one shot. So, you know, I I just have to hope that it gets harder and harder for people to participate in anything in society that will not get vaccinated. It is a public health emergency still, is it not? Absolutely. And I find, at least here, I live in New York, and here I find that most activities I participate in People are definitely wearing masks, definitely showing their vaccine cards. Um, I have not actually seen anyone with my own eyes protest and refuse. I hear stories about it around the city, but frankly, in my experience, and I'm out and about quite a bit now, uh, there's mostly compliance. Yeah. I did go to see the new James Bond movie. I confess it was my first time uh-huh. in a movie theater wow. in two years. And uh, I wanted to see it in IMAX. Uh, but the fellows next to me were refusing to wear a mask. Mm-hmm. That was annoying. However, everybody had to prove they were fully vaccinated yeah. in order to get in the theater. So I decided not to panic. Yeah. Lori, I'm doing my first, we're doing our first sexy liberal tour in Madison, Wisconsin next weekend, but same thing, proof of vaccination required for everybody that goes in there and masking. So, you know, I think you're right. And I'm, I've been one of the most cautious, not gone anywhere, done anything people, but uh, it just, I, I think it is so, I'm sure for you as a scientist, it's just so incomprehensible that this is so preventable, that tens of thousands of deaths have just been 
preventable with a with a vaccine that really is kind of a miracle, isn't it? I mean, in terms of the technology and the, the you know, the effectiveness. You know, I think uh, today the hearings are underway at the FDA regarding third doses for Moderna vaccines yeah. and second doses for Johnson & Johnson vaccines. And I'm sure we'll end up getting some pronouncement that will make third dose available very soon for the Moderna. And I think that what we're seeing right now across America is is in large part a class divide. But, you know, we don't talk about economic class in our country because as soon as you raise it, everybody thinks you're a socialist. Uh, but yeah. uh, just like as soon as you talk about medicine for all, you're, you're supposedly calling for socialized medicine. Yeah. Uh, but the, the truth of the matter is that uh, people who are less educated, working class folks are more likely to have made decisions against vaccination, be taken in by ivermectin claims and yeah. uh, hydroxychloroquine claims. Um, a perfect example is just to look at the medical setting. In most hospitals, you'll find that in excess of 95% of physicians are fully vaccinated. And an excess of 95% of the top RNs are fully vaccinated. The unvaccinated medical staff tend to be the lab technicians, the intake clerks, the LVNs, the folks further down the totem pole who are earning less, yeah. have less power, have less uh, education, uh, and are perhaps more likely to get, you know, hornswoggled by the latest conspiracy theory. And I think this goes to a lot of, you know, flaws in our society that we've ne needed to correct for a long time in terms of access to education and opportunity and the myth of rising to the top, you know. Uh, and I saw it yesterday. Uh, I had to have a blood test and they were down to only two blood technicians, phlebotomists. And the phlebotomist told me she was on her 18th hour of her shift because wow. four of the regular staff had all refused to come in wow. because they wouldn't get vaccinated. Well, they need to keep you alive because who's going to warn us about everything and be right <laughs> about everything? Yes. Yeah, I think the people that believe Chinese, uh, I don't know, thermostats, regulated votes in Georgia are the ones that tend to believe that horse paste is an acceptable alternative to. Uh, and thank you for sh um, on Twitter saying study saying COVID-19 vaccines cause myocarditis. Heart inflammation was hyped by anti-vaxxers was withdrawn due to miscalculation. We mentioned that yesterday, but that's all we can do is just keep. You know, not you know everything you see in these anti-vaxxer circles. You're like, okay, COVID is more likely to give you myocarditis than this than the vaccine, right? You know, right now we have a lot of scared scientists um, and scared public health people. It's interesting because on the one hand we have record applications for kids, young idealistic kids who want to go into medical school, nursing school public health school or into the sciences to study virology, immunology, the fields closest aligned to dealing with pandemics. And uh, on the other hand, those that are already on these jobs are being subjected to more and more attack, not only from those doubters out there that claim that everything they do is a big fat lie and they're all in the pockets of George Soros or you know, Bill Gates or fill in the blank, yeah. But it's also uh, that they are under attack from their own colleagues. Yeah. Well, so, for example, mm -hmm. this whole question of where did the virus come from? 
did it start in China? If it did start in China, did it come out of a lab? What were they doing in that lab, et cetera? Or did it come from nature out of uh, uh, animal transmission, possibly related to animal smuggling? Any scientist who takes a position on that is subjected to really serious attack yeah. by scientists who are on the opposite side. And it's gotten so ugly that reporters don't want to tell the story and scientists don't want to publish papers. Yeah. No, I saw a story last night that people are afraid, you know, medical people, school board people to even express an opinion on anything because they're going to get attacked. Um, my fellow Cassandra, keep speaking out. Listen, no one likes us now, but someday we'll be celebrated. Yeah. And <laughs> thank you so much, Lori. Okay, Always a- my day will come. <laughs> yes. <laughs> thank you, Lori. Thanks, Lori. See, see you next time. Bye, Steph. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Hi, Aaron Rupar. Oh, my God. We owe all of the torture <laughs> yes. of Trump sound bites to you. Thank you so much for the, the, decline, for the decline of my mental health. Thank you, Aaron. It's good to chat with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've been wanting to meet you forever. He, Travis is right. You are essential. So I, because we got to dive right into this because you wrote a piece on this. This is the whole debate, right, Travis? When yep. we play Trump sound bites, I'm sure you get this, too. People go, oh, my God, I turned it off. Stop. You shouldn't be giving him. I hate his voice, which I know. Me, too. It makes my... Imagine how he feels. He listens to all of the, right. the entire He rally. does it so we don't have to. But <laughs> you just had made some really interesting points because you went to the latest, whatever that was, in Des Moines. Um, and you say you, not, you may not be done with Trump, but Trump is not done. Mm-hmm. You may be done with Trump, but Trump is not done with you. Mm-hmm. You said my unvarnished and unequivocal coverage of Trump, especially his rallies, is one of the reasons I have the audience that I do. Um, at the one end of the spectrum of opinions about how to cover 2021 version of Trump is the view that his public statements rallies serve little purpose beyond spreading hate and misinformation, aren't really worthy of attention. Sure, journalists generally improved at calling out Trump's lies by the end of his presidency, but with so many other important things going on right now, there's no reason to give Trump and his tired shtick oxygen. The opposing view is that as leader of the Republican Party and its presumptive 2024 nominee, what Trump says still matters and needs to be covered. As hateful and misinformed as he may be, it's a mistake to ignore the sayings and do of an in influential uh, aspiring authoritarian mm-hmm. so it, it, this is the debate of our time isn't it do you t- you know the people that say he's definitely running people that say he's not going to uh, and where do you come down on all this and why do you why do you have the stance on trump that you do yeah you know i think my stance on trump is pretty it, it's pretty moderate in the sense that um you know as you could and i tried to convey this in the piece i mean there seems to be two kind of polar polarized views on how to deal with trump uh in terms of how journalists should cover him and and one is basically the school of thought uh is is that if you give him oxygen you know you're kind of publicizing him and promoting him in a way that is counterproductive because you're sort of validating him and helping him uh keep his name in the news and 
and um, you know just keep his presence out there. And then the other is that you know look when when you poll Republican voters, uh, you know it's something like seventy percent of Republican voters uh, hope that he runs again and would support him in a primary if he did. And so what he says in that sense um, is inherently meaningful and it matters. And so, um, you know, I kind of come down in the middle in that I think, you know, I, I, I find it to be um, counterproductive when journalists tweet out his statements, you know, he, you know, he'll, he'll release a statement basically smearing Liz, Liz Cheney, Adam Kinzinger, and yeah. you know, you'll see journalists kind of rushing to just amplify this without any sort of additional context or, mm -hmm any sense of what is newsworthy about it. And I don't think that is the right way to handle it. But I also don't think pretending that Trump doesn't exist and that there's no reason to be paying attention to what he's saying is helpful because I think it kind of keeps you in the dark about what, you know, what people on the right are talking about and what some of the themes of his likely presidential campaign will be. And of course, he'll be on the road um, both this year and next campaigning for Republican candidates in 2022 as well. And so, yeah. you know, I kind of got into that in the piece that you read from that I wrote on Sunday that was, you know, both about Trump's rally on Saturday in Iowa, but also kind of more broadly just about some of these difficulties involved in covering Trump. And, you know, I get a lot of it from people, um, a lot of vitriol from people who think that the way that I handle it uh, isn't the right way to do it, that, you know, I give him too much oxygen and that I should, you know, yeah. just kind of ignore and, and move on to covering. We get that too. And then we, we just blame you. We're like, well, <laughs> yeah. if Aaron Rupert wouldn't post it. It's like catnip. We wouldn't do it if Aaron Rupert, you're our so enabler. Tough. I mean, I even, yeah, I had but, a couple people in the comments actually to that very post um, were kind of, um, you know, very upset thinking that, you know, I, I'd be better off just kind of ignoring this guy and I just come but, back to I think you know it's it's important to kind of know what's going on on and it you know, argues, the Republican Party. And, it argues. And so I, I think it's yeah. I, I think you got to kind of find a way responsible a responsible way to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Argues to how we got here that we didn't take him seriously. Nobody thought he was going to run. No one thought he was going to win. No one thought he what he would go to the lengths he did to stay in power. And so you know it, yeah. it's as you said. I loved your tweet about the uh, ch whether Chinese thermostats change votes in Georgia. <laughs> you just said would any variation on this headline surprise you at this point? <laughs> nope. Nope. That's so true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw that, you know, come through my feed yesterday that, uh, you know, the, in the new book from John Carl, there's a, an anecdote that yeah. Yeah. Uh, Trump, and maybe you guys talked about this in the show, so I don't want to yeah. rehash it if you did. But anyway, yeah, that, that he, you know, asked for an investigation as to whether these Chinese manufactured thermostats hacked the election. And honestly, I mean, yeah, you know, insert, uh, you know, did, did uh, wind, wind turbines hack the election? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there Aaron, any, it's, you know, to your nothing point. Nothing would surprise you about this guy. To your point, it's funny. But it's not funny that 70% of Republicans think the election was stolen because of these constant ridiculous conspiracy theories. I mean, yeah, I, I like what you said. You said, to me, these two views, cover Trump, don't cover Trump. These two views aren't really in conflict. We should be wary of giving Trump free publicity, but as leader of a party that currently holds 50 seats in the Senate and is the betting favor to take back the House next year, he needs to be responsibly covered. Um, and you say, and you talked about you, journalists shouldn't help by just tweeting out his statements. Jody reports the person that I does do. that. Yes, I do. He's a, cause she's the hall monitor. <laughs> we love, everyone loves a good snitch. Um, you said, it, I also think it's important for people who aren't immersed in MAGA media to understand what his incessant lying about the 2020 election means for the stakes of 2022 and beyond. That's a, yeah. a really great point, Aaron. And you just say the fact the Republican Party literally did not have a platform in 2020 beyond what he says and not even an insurrection could persuade the leading Republicans to distance themselves. You said so. Understanding Trump is key to understanding the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's. I mean, well, he's the leader of the Republican right. Party. And you know, I wish that there was a more robust 
debate within the Republican Party that there were other aspiring candidates for president that were you know serious contenders um, that there was more of a significant faction that was distancing itself from Trump um, but that's just not the case I mean you know the, the party is consolidated behind this guy and and that was you know I got into this I got into this in the piece on Sunday about his rally that you know Chuck Grassley was there and Kim Reynolds was there and two Republican members of Congress from Iowa were, were there. And so, you know, the the fact of the matter is that there really isn't a significant faction of the Republican Party that is standing up to this guy other than, you know, the Adam Kinzinger's and the Liz Cheney's. And, you know, there's there's a handful of people that you could cite who at least are standing up for elections. But, um, you know, if you're going to cover the Republican Party, you know, a party that controls 50 seats in the Senate. And, you know, as you just mentioned that I talked about in the piece is the betting favorite to take back the House. Then you have to cover Trump. And so, um, you know, I think we all kind of remember thinking back to like the 2016 cycle and how CNN would sometimes cover his empty podium, you know, instead of like a Hillary Clinton speech. And obviously that's, you know, that's bad. That is not um, a responsible yeah. way to cover an aspiring authoritarian yeah. like Trump. But it's part of how we got sort here. Of, you know, I view my job as being to, you know, listen to everything that he says and then kind of pick out the things that I think are notable or newsworthy. Yep. And cover them for my audience. You so, are, you know, I'm not. I'm not trying not to do the blanket coverage and covering. You know, yeah. pretending that everything that he says is newsworthy. But yeah, um, you know, there are tidbits in there that I think need to be surfaced so people are aware of what's going on on the American right. Yeah, mm -hmm. you are curator, and also we, as Travis said, we get all our WTF Donnie sound bites yeah. from you because exactly. you literally can't figure out what the actual <laughs> is saying most of the time. <laughs> we just used your one from Saturday about it's. You're in and you're out, you're hot and you're cold. It was a Katy Perry song. I don't know what he was saying. But it's, <laughs> you've got to go in and you're out. You've got to go in and you're out. And you're out. Okay. Um, you also say in your piece, Trump called Haitian immigrants uneducated. Oh, he said they're all bringing AIDS here. He defended his Muslim ban, saying we really don't want people in our country who are going to blow up our cities. Oh my God. He said of Afghan refugees, you're going to be hearing from those people over the coming years in a very bad way. Um, and you say people may be numb to this sort of bigotry coming from Trump, but that doesn't mean it should be dismissed. Um, I think that's true. You, you know, uh, you said it doesn't mean CNN and MSNBC should be carrying Trump's speeches live, but people should be aware of the sort of stuff he's normalizing among the GOP base. Um, yeah. And you just say what we used to say, I'll keep watching so you don't have to. Now I am not man enough to do it, so you have to do it for me. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you just said, and you made a better point, not just you may be done with Trump, uh, and believe me, I get it. But Trumpism is not done with us. So it's not just Trump's not done with us. Trumpism is not done. Right. I mean, that is the party now. Yeah, I think that's one of the tough lessons from this year. You know, there, there was that very brief moment in January and February where it seemed like some of these leading Republicans were distancing themselves from Trump in the wake of the insurrection. And I think, you know, it's kind of been the same story since the very beginning with Trump, where um, these, you know, Lindsey Graham's, Kevin McCarthy's, Ultimately, they're kind of afraid of their own voters, yeah. you know, and they realize that Trump is more popular than they are. And so if they got out on that limb of, you know, trying to denounce Trump or um, being independent from him, they would be primaried and probably lose uh, by, you know, like a Marjorie yeah. Taylor Greene type figure. Aaron. So, um, you know, that's that's been the story for five years now. How do we fight this? I mean, you've heard all the stories, you know, from Bill Maher to, you know, the Robert Kagan piece everyone's talking about. To I mean, a lot of us, frankly, including you, have been warning of these dangers since, you know, since forever, right? But, I mean, it really is. And you, you wrote just a quick tweet about Fox News. Fox and Friends is mad that Dr. Fauci is answering questions he was asked. Um, <laughs> it's just, but it's become on COVID, on the election yeah. There just there is a megaphone of lies that starts with Trump, but is Facebook yeah. is Fox News. 
how do we ever reclaim our country, our democracy, and have at least a common yeah. set of facts? I mean, they know the big lie is the big lie, don't they? They know they're all vaccinated. They know that they're spreading COVID lies. But, but here we yeah. are as a country, right? I think there's a lot of fatalism. You know, I sense this talking with a variety of people that there's kind of the sense of, oh, man, you know, is there any reason to be optimistic yeah. about the future of, of American politics? And, you know, what, what I would say to that is that, you know, the future is definitely not determined. I mean, you know, we can think back on yep. 2020 and, you know, despite uh, the pandemic and all the terrible things that happened, I mean, the elections, you know, for Congress and for the presidency, uh, the results were positive, you know, if you're if you're a progressive or, you know, a Democrat. And so, you know, despite the fact that Republicans are kind of making these efforts to pass laws that sort of tip the scales and, you know, um, you know, there, there's that effort to sort of um, win unfairly, I would say, in some of these yeah. states, you know, restricting voting. But I still think that, um, you know, Democrats will have some good things to run on next year. And hopefully there's more to come with, you know, with stuff that's going on in Congress and now with this reconciliation bill. And, you know, I would just say it comes down to trying to win elections and, and holding on to power. And, you know, in the Senate, um, two more seats would do a world of mm -hmm. benefit, well, you know, in terms of the ability to get things done. Aaron, so I, I just would kind of push back against some of the doom and gloom. I don't think the future is determined. And yeah. I think that um, me too. there's no reason why the 2022 elections can't be as successful as the 2020. Me too. I'm like, let it motivate you. Let it piss mm -hmm. you off. Women, what they're doing in Texas, let it, the voter suppression bills piss you off and make you, you know, turn out more than ever. I think you're right. It is not determined. I keep saying what Trump does is determine First of all, I think what happens in 2022, if he can, you know, stall a Republican House and all these Trump big lie conspiracy theorists and all these state positions and he can rig it, you know, then I do think we're headed toward a dark future. But I agree with you. I'm I'm I say we keep fighting. I am optimistic. Um, yeah. So I, I'm happy to hear you say that, Aaron. Yeah. I mean, usually I'm not the voice of. Uh... People wouldn't think of me as a voice of positivity, but yeah. I've definitely been sensing that from a lot of people, kind of the sense of like, why should I even be optimistic about that's, the future? That's what they want um, us to be, which is de defeated. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. I just don't, you know, I think 2021, obviously there's been a lot of um, challenges. And I think, you know, when you look at the state of politics on the right right now, it's pretty bleak, but, um, yeah. you know, I do think that Democrats will have some positive things to run on. I think the country is doing much better now than it was, you know, nine, 10 months ago. And so- Here's um, a question. How do we, I, I would, to your point, you know, they keep saying like, oh, you know, you've got to let these former Republicans, you've got to run more to the center and you can't. What I, I would argue that all of the pieces, you know, in the in Build Back Better, in the Biden, they're all wildly popular and they're all wildly progressive positions. Mm -hmm. It's the two centrists in the in the Democratic Party that we're having trouble with. It's the two moderates that don't want the things. I mean, when do you see polling 90 percent want people to be able to, you know, negotiate prescription drug prices? Well, Manchin and Cinema are against that, right? I mean, yeah. it's how do that's the problem is Joe Biden keeps saying it's two people. Right. It's not the Democratic Party. Right. It's two people. Absolutely. And, and I think at least from Joe Manchin's standpoint, um, you know, his stances to me make some sense, given that it's kind of a minor miracle that there's a Democratic senator from West Virginia, a state that Trump won by like 30 points. And yeah. Cinema to me is the more frustrating one because it's really unclear kind of what she stands for. Yeah. You know, at least, you know, with Manchin, he's going to have concerns about environmental provisions because of his state's, you know, the coal mining economy there. And, and so there are kind of like very political reasons for him to take the stances that he takes. But I think cinema, it's a little bit more mysterious, you know, what, what she's really trying to That's accomplish. That's a good word. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just, you know, <laughs> when Democrats won those two special elections in Georgia, I think people um, 
kind of assumed that the sky was the limit in terms of what Congress could accomplish. And what we're seeing now is that really it would have been great to get it, you know, that that main seat is yeah. looking. Um, it's really unfortunate that that, you know, that that election didn't didn't turn out differently. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I think we, you know, there's already been a major stimulus package passed earlier this year. And, you know, there, there's been a lot of progress made on the pandemic, which is obviously a huge issue at the top of yeah. mind for voters. And yeah. I think you're right that um, there's been a little bit of messaging difficulties in terms of, you know, I think Democrats haven't talked enough about specific things that are in the Build Back Better agenda. And yes. so there's been a lot of stories kind of about process, about what it costs and not what it is, sort of stuff. And I yeah. think um, it would behoove Democrats to talk more about specific things in the bill that are popular and try to, you know, hopefully get some pressure on cinema and mansion that way by, you know, pressuring them in the sense that, look, these are yeah. good things for your constituents. Why not support this? Yeah. As I have said, she's the Reese Witherspoon character on Morning Show. She is the blonde bisexual pain in the ass. Just breaking <laughs> vases left and right. You said it. You said it, not me. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Don't put this on Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen, I know you were on with Bob Seska this week. The Sexy Liberal Podcast Network is yep. just chewing you up and spitting you out, just tearing you limb from limb fighting for you because we all love you so much thanks for uh thanks for doing it also we don't have to we appreciate it and subscribe to yeah, his newsletter for me on. yeah subscribe to his new uh newsletter and uh aaron rupar.substack.com follow him at uh a t rupar on twitter yep. uh, and please subscribe to the newsletter come back anytime aaron thanks so much yeah thanks for having me on all right Hear that? That's the sound of change being cooked up in our schools. Each day, school food professionals throughout California are working to make better meals for our kids, one tray at a time. These meal planning, sauce stirring, taste bud training professionals are making food for students from kindergarten to high school using fresher ingredients and flavors kids love. The secret ingredient to better school food in California? The dedicated professionals who are improving it every day. Learn more about how they're cooking up change at schoolfoodpros.org. Grant provided by California Community College's Chancellor's Office.